morning, everybody. Good to see everyone here this morning. And Faye, I've missed you. It's good to see you. <laughs> um, do you think we're going to get snow? I'm, I'm kind of, you know, no. Jeff is praying. Jeff is praying for snow, you guys. Um, well, we're so excited to be together with you guys again this morning. And uh, Jeff asked me if I would share with you. And I, you know, I made a promise that whenever he says we share, I'll say yes. So here I am. And um, I'm really excited about what we get to talk about today. We have been a part of the Grove now for eight years. Um, when we came to the Grove, um, we were working with uh, Pastor Greg Everett. And, and that's some of you would remember him if you were here that that long ago. And when we came Something that was so exciting to me was that this church had a unique style. It had a a unique mission and it had a unique vision that I was attracted to because I didn't really see it happening in the other churches that we had been a part of. Um, And I really believed that the the elders and the staff uh, believed in the mission of the church. And so we were able to come and be a part of that and work working with Greg and then um, and then continuing to work here with you guys and so last week Jeff was uh, starting us off and just helping us get on kind of the same page with what the vision of this church is um, he shared it with you guys last week does anybody remember what what is the vision of the Grove Church does anybody know Jenna knows what is it Kind of, yes. Uh, to see irreligious people, exactly right, Jenna, um, become uh, transformed, fully devoted followers of Christ. I, I, I messed it up just a bit. To see irreligious people become fully transformed followers of Jesus Christ. And last week, Jeff spent some time in, in sharing that with you. What, what is an irreligious person? What, what does that even mean? You know, who, who are we trying to reach here as a church? And we talked about that. And, and many of us can relate to what that even means, because in some ways, we all have our moments and have experiences where we have been indifferent to God. And so that's really where we can all relate, and, and that's, the, that's who we're, we're working to reach out to. So today, we're going to continue talking about that. And the reason why we feel that it's valuable for each one of us to know that, for you know Jenna to be able to tell that, it's amazing. Um, we want our church to be a church that knows why we get together and knows why we try to do the things that we do. So you'll see things that we try to do in this community. Uh, we, we have different community events. We have um, Love Bryson, where we're trying to use this as a way to love our community. Um, we have opportunities for, you know, you guys to be a part of sending people to Guatemala or, you know, this, this trip coming up to Costa Rica. Why are we doing the things that we do And what do we dream about seeing happen in the future? So why do we do the things that we do? And and what are we dreaming about becoming um, as a church? What The vision as it continues to grow inside of us as a group of people. So how do we achieve this vision? And and can we really achieve it? So what I want you guys to, to know right off the bat when we go into this today is that you are valuable to the vision of this church. If we didn't have you, if it was just the elders and Jeff and I sitting around trying to come up with what, what are we going to do, 
it, it wouldn't be as effective if we didn't have us together, working together to see the vision take place in this community to build the kingdom of God. So you guys are necessary. You're pretty important. So you can like pat yourself on the back, like say I'm important. Tell the person next to you, I am important. Go ahead, you know. You guys are, you guys are valuable to see the vision. Okay, you can stop. You're not that important. Um, <laughs> You, you guys are valuable to see the vision take place and make it happen. Because without you, we would not be able to do the things that we do. And we would not be able to dream the dreams that we have for what God can do in this, in this community. So what I want to do today is I want to give you guys three things that I want you to write down. If you're taking notes or just put inside your memory to walk away with. Three things, um, three questions that I want you to consider about your part in the vision of this church, okay? So the first thing is, um, the first question for you to consider, do you believe that God has changed your life? Do you believe that you have been transformed by God, that something about you is different because you have had an encounter with God? Do you believe that he has changed your life? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Paul is writing and he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Are you a new creation because of who God is to you? And really, there's only one or two ways that you can answer that question. You either say, yes, God has changed my life. I am different because of who he is to me. Or I'm indifferent and and he hasn't changed my life. The second question I want you guys to, to think about today is not only is, has God changed your life? Would you be able to say that, yes, the presence of God in my life has made me different? The second thing is, is do you believe that you have something to say? Now, it doesn't take me a lot to get me talking. I love to talk. It's like my favorite hobby is talking. Ask Jeff. And, you know, I always usually think I have something to say. But that kind of gets me in trouble, you know? But I want you guys to think about that. For each person here, do you believe that you have a story to tell, that you have something to say about what God has done in your life, and you and you feel compelled to say it? In 2 Corinthians, that same chapter, chapter 5, verse 20, Paul says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. What, what a powerful, powerful short verse. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador goes before people and tells a story and represents. And, and Paul is saying that is you and I, that we are the ambassadors of Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. So he's like, that's a pretty important position. That we are making the appeal for God uh, on behalf of God to this church, to this community, to our families, to our friends. That we are the ambassadors that represent the story of God. So do you believe that you have something to say? That you have a story to tell? Okay, and the last question that I want you guys to write down or, or to think about today is do you know how to tell your story? So it's, it's not really enough to say, yes, I believe God has changed me. And, and I do think I have something to say. But do you know how to tell the story that God has given you that is uniquely yours? 
Do you know how to share that with somebody? Do you know how to talk about that? Do you know how to tell your story? Matthew chapter 28, this is Jesus, and, and he is giving this command to the disciples. Um, it, it, it's powerful, and you've, you've probably heard it here before. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So he's saying, go. You know, are you an ambassador that's representing that story that God has given you? And are you willing to go and to open your mouth and to share the story with the people that he's put in your path? So these questions are very important, and I feel like they're valuable to me, and I, and I feel like they're valuable to you. Because if you're anything like me, um, growing up in church, being around church all my, my whole like childhood, I had a really huge problem understanding that God had made a difference in my life. If, if the amount of times that you go to an altar or rededicate your life was anything about like salvation and security, I am so saved that no, no one can, you know, taught me. I have, I have, I was saved every Sunday. I was at every altar call. I mean, the, the pastor would just say, like, you know, you got to come forward if you didn't. And I knew that I had just lied to my mom. I knew that I had yelled at my sister, and I would be at the altar. Oh, God, you know, please forgive me. And I never felt like I had done enough good to make me with God. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I, I went to church camp. I went to conventions. I went to winter retreats. And I went to, you know, I would cry at my, you know, my, before my youth pastor and my, my uh, youth leader, small group leader. I, I got saved every single week because I never quite understood that God had transformed me, that his forgiveness was there. And, and he loved me no matter what. And I didn't have to keep saying, okay, God, please forgive me. I, I need to be saved again. I need to be saved again. He had already done that. And, I, and it took me a really long time to understand that I had a position with God as his daughter. And I had something to say. That I had a story to tell. And I needed to start telling it. And so, you see, I, I grew up in this church with probably the most put together, decked out, awesome looking pastor's wife that you could ever imagine. Okay, she was like beautiful head to toe. She... Like, even at church picnics when we would be, like, playing softball and kickball, she was decked out, you know? And it had everything—her name was Marigold, which is not a very popular name in, like, northern Ohio. Her name was Marigold. And she was perfect in my eyes. And here I was. I just felt like I was this church-going mess that I was lost and broken every single week. And, but, but I was striving to be who I thought God wanted me to be, and that was perfect. I thought that's what he really wanted from me, that I had to get it just right, that I had to get it just right because that's what he wanted. So now fast forward into like my adult life and here I am, a smack dab, like right in the middle of, of being a pastor's wife, which is kind of ironic, right? Go figure. And it became very obvious to me early on as a pastor's wife that even though I had strived my whole life to get it right as a Christian. And I, I went to Bible college and I got a degree in church ministry and I, I went and I got my license to preach and I married a good looking pastor. I, he's good looking, you guys, come on. And I was still a church going mess. But now I was a pastor's wife, church going mess, you know? And I knew that it, 
it, it kind of would run through my mind on a weekly basis. I'm not what they want. I'm not what they want. Like I would hear myself think this. And it became obvious to me that people were not shy in trying to convince that of me. You know, oh, she's too young. She's too casual. Oh, she's got a tattoo on her arm. Oh, she's, it's all love and grace and, and no accountability. She's not deep enough. I've heard it all. And I was so discouraged that that God had placed me in a position where I felt I was born to be. I, I felt in a weird way. I felt like I was born to be a pastor's wife because I knew that my voice was uncommon in the church, that my voice and my story was not churchy. It was not fancy. It was not put together, but it was authentic and it was genuine because I believe in the love of God and I believe that he has given me a story to tell you. And so if you are anything of a mess like me, which I'm convinced that we're all pretty messy, right? I knew I liked you guys. Um, if you're anything like that, that you are messy, then you also wrestle with the doubts that you don't have something to say because you don't think that you are good enough when you walk in the door or when you go to your job or when you sit with your spouse or your friends, you don't think that what you're about to say is good enough for them to listen to you because you don't have your stuff put together. Okay. And God is saying, I want to use your voice to, to see the vision of this church take place in this community. Because when you speak for me in genuine authenticity, when you speak for me and not fancy words and put together people, people relate to what you have to say and you put them at ease and they are inspired to be like that too. When you put someone at ease because you're willing to say, man, I don't have it together. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know that God has made a difference in me. And I'm willing to say that to you. I don't, I'm lost. I'm still broken. I still have my doubts, but my life is different because of the presence of God. You watch the people that you will inspire because people want to know that you're broken too. People want to know that I am a total mess as a pastor's wife, that my house is a wreck. My kids are crazy. I fight with my husband. I'm bossy and I have a lot of pride, but I love God. And I am in the process still of transformation because it is a lifelong process that each one of us is, is on the journey to have. Perfection is not the goal because perfection was never the goal given to anyone here. The goal that God has for you is to say, are you transforming to where I want you to be? And are you willing to tell the story that I have given you that nobody else in this room can tell but you? He will use every single imperfect, non-fancy voice that is willing to speak for him. He will use every single one of you that is willing to say, I don't have it together, but I know that my life is different because God has been with me. He wants to, he wants that from you. So it has taken me a lot of energy and it has taken me a lot of soul searching and a lot of crash and burn and a lot of woundedness, but a lot of victories as well to recognize that I have a story to tell and, and I'm going to be willing to tell it. And it may not always come together very eloquently. And I may slip up and say the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong person in this town. But I will speak for God. And I will take the risk to live on the edge for him. Because I am convinced that there are irreligious people everywhere. 
that need to hear about the love of God. And my challenge to you today, as we jump into um, a, a beautiful, beautiful story about a storyteller, my challenge to you is that you would see yourself as the same. That you would recognize that it's not the put-together Christ follower that he is seeking, but the willing one, the risky one, the imperfect one that can speak up and tell the story of God's love. So, I want to tell you guys a story today of my favorite, favorite, favorite storyteller in all of scripture. And she is a total mess. And that's why I love her. She doesn't have anything together, and she is the furthest thing from perfect. She is the furthest furthest thing from who you would envision would be a missionary, a storyteller, a, a changed voice for God. She is not what you would expect, and that is why I like her, and I think you guys will too. So I want you to turn with me to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus is with the disciples, and he is preparing to leave Judea and head back to Galilee. And so where the position of these, these areas, these cities are, you have to pass through Samaria to get back to Galilee. Now, traditionally, if you were a devout Jew and you were um, very concerned about your reputation and the Samaritans, you would take a detour. And in fact, you can see uh, examples of that in scripture where Jesus takes a detour and doesn't head through this area. But on this occasion, he heads and takes the, the path straight through. So he's leaving with his disciples in John chapter 4, and he's heading from Judea back to Galilee, and he's taking the more direct route where he has to pass through Samaria. So he's, they're, they're tired. They've been on a long journey, and he's thirsty. And so he's looking for a place to stop. And so right outside the town would be where the well of the town would be typically set. And, and so people would make a journey to go and get the water that they needed for the day, And that's where we we pick up here, where we find Jesus. And I want to read every single word of this story to you. And I know that um, it's a little bit lengthy, but I want you guys to follow along, either follow in front of you with your Bible or look up on the screen, because there's so much, like so much that we won't even be able to get through all of it today. What you, I want you to learn from this story. Okay. And it's familiar, you've probably heard it before, but I, I want us to pay attention to some really big details, okay? We're going to start in, uh, in verse chapter, uh, sorry, got me all twisted, um, chapter 4, verse 7. So when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, well, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have, you have nothing to draw with uh, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as, also, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will, be, will become in him a spring, of well, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, 
Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have five husbands and the man that you are with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but the, but you, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declares to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to this woman. But no one asked, what do you, what, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her jar behind, water jar behind, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish and to finish his work. Do you not say for four months and more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields for they are ripe. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crops for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the, the saying, one, and another, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay, and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. So this passage is just loaded with moments of change, with scandal, with outrageous interaction between Jesus and this woman. And her life so drastically so drastically shifts that this one encounter, one time, this one encounter that she has with Jesus changes her life in the direction of her voice forever. So once again, our vision here at the Grove is to see irreligious people become fully devoted followers of Christ. Jesus sets the tone in this passage that no one is off limits that not one person is so far gone or too irreligious that, that he doesn't have time for them. And even the Samaritan woman knew that what he was doing was so controversial that she mentions to him, you know, you are a Jew and, and I'm a Samaritan woman. You know, how can you even ask me for water? You see, she was a sinner. She had a reputation. 
It's, it's interesting if, if you haven't noticed that in this passage before that it talks about Jesus comes to her in the middle of the day, that the timing is high noon, you know, it was in the heat of the day. There is a reason why she is alone at the well at the heat of the day, because no other woman in Samaria would have been at the well at that time. She knew when she would go at that time that she could be by herself, that no, no other eyes would be on her. The talk of the town, the people that have gossiped about her, the people that have said, oh, you know, stay away from this girl. She knew that she could go at, at the middle of the day and, and she'd be all by herself. Because typically a Samaritan woman would have got up early in the morning and went to go to the well to get the water for her family for the day when, in the cool of the morning or in, into the later evening. She was there in the middle of the day because she didn't want to be seen and she didn't want the, the talky people to be around her. And she finds Jesus and he is the savior. And so she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew. And the, the opposition between these two cultures was huge. Like I said, you know, typically a, a devout Jew would not have passed through this area. They would have detoured around to get back to Galilee. But Jesus was passing through because he didn't really have the same type of standards or levels that we work and function with when it comes to people who are worth his time. And he knew that he was going to have this encounter. And he knew that it was going to be very scandalous and that it would have been off limits for him to speak to someone like her. So she was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. She was a sinner. She was, you know, speaking to the Savior. She was a woman and he was a man. And th that was a huge detail because, again, a devout Jewish man, if he had been in a situation where it put him one-on-one -on -one with a woman who was not his wife, he would not have spoken to her. He would not have interacted with her. He would not have asked her for water. That would have been completely off limits. So Jesus pursued her despite the risk. He pursued her knowing her reputation. He knew she was a mess. He knew she was living with a man that wasn't her husband. And she had five husbands that we don't really know the story behind those details. But he accepted her because of who she was. Not if, not when, not go to the altar and then get your life right. And then I will love you. He extended his arm of love and grace and acceptance to her because, because he saw her. And people didn't really take the time to look at her the way that he looked at her. So Jesus is teaching us something really valuable. And I want you to think about this question. Are all irreligious people valuable to you? Are all irreligious people worth your time? Because that's what he's showing us here. Is that this woman who was not worth anyone else's time was worth it to him. Are all irreligious people worth your time? And are they worth you even maybe looking a little bit crazy or maybe tainting your reputation a little bit because you chose to reach out to them or you chose to speak to them or you chose to love them because this is what Jesus shows us. This is what he shows us that we should be doing. We all have our own messiness. And so... What Jesus beautifully displays to us right here is that he puts himself on level ground with this woman and he makes her feel at ease 
and, and, and is offering her something of hope. He doesn't look at himself as better than or, oh, I can't associate. And far too often among Christ-following groups of people, we get comfortable with each other and we kind of stay, stay away from the people that would not be the people we should talk to. And Jesus is saying that every single irreligious person should be valuable to you and should be valuable to me and should be valuable to this group of people, this church called the Grove. He beautifully displays to us that every single person is worth it, even when they are a total mess, because we are a total mess. And, and that puts us on level playing ground with every person in this community, in this town, in, the, in, in this world. There is no better than Christ follower. We're all coming before him together and he sees us the same. And a couple other interesting details about this story with this, this woman is that she probably, I, I guarantee she had never felt changed in that way before. And, and in this change, she immediately chooses courage and bravery and uses her voice to go tell people about what just happened to her. She becomes a storyteller because God shows up in her world and makes a difference. And she chooses then, I, gotta, I, I have to go tell them that this man just told me everything that I've ever done. He just told me that. How can he not be the Christ? How can he not be the Messiah? Her life changes and she becomes a voice for God. There's a couple things to, to pay attention to about this, this, what she does too. She has a water jar and she leaves it behind. That's when she goes to tell. Now, again, where the well would have been positioned at in this town, it was, would have been on the outside of town. And she would have had to make a journey to go back to town. So it's significant in that detail that, that, uh, that we read there that, she left it behind and ran back to town. That is a huge, that's a huge thing because it would have taken her quite a, a, a journey to get back to where that water jar was. Chances are she didn't have many of them. So she left it behind and she went back to go tell. The other thing that she did that I think was really interesting is she doesn't rush back to go back to the man who wasn't her husband that she was living with. She doesn't go back to straighten things out which I think is, is interesting. We, I think, spend a lot of time trying to go back and, and, and okay, we, gotta, we have to make sure, like, okay, I got to break it off with him. I got I to gotta make sure that I'm good, like I'm, I'm perfect and I've got my stuff together and then I'm going to go tell my story for God. I think a lot of times we get stuck and we try to get it all right before we go say something about who Jesus is to us. And this woman, she, she doesn't take the time to do that. She doesn't go back and get it figured out and then go speak for Jesus. She goes and leaves it behind and, and goes to tell what he's done. I think it's pretty inf informative to think about that she saw herself as a transformed storyteller right then and right there. One more thing I like about that Jesus emphasizes, and then we're going to go back to the questions at the beginning. Jesus emphasizes to her in this little you know, moment in, in between their interaction that 
this, this salvation, this message isn't just for the Jews or the Samaritans. And he talks about um, th- that a time is coming when true worshipers will come before him in spirit and in truth. And it, and it doesn't matter about where they're from or what their background is or who they're connected to. It doesn't matter about their status. That, that none of that matters. That what God is after is somebody who's worshiping him in spirit and truth. In verse 23, uh, Jesus is saying to her, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Author, the author N.T. Wright, he notes on this passage, he says, That Jesus here is emphasizing that one day soon, true worship will have nothing to do with territory and everything to do with spirituality and everything to do with truth. That the the true and the living God isn't contained geographically or architecturally, that he is spirit and he wants the, the true heart to come to worship him. So it's amazing because this message of hope that he's bringing to this Samaritan woman is a message of hope for every irreligious, indifferent person out there. Because he's saying it doesn't matter the territory, where you're from, what your background is, if you're a Jew, a Samaritan, it doesn't matter your status, it doesn't matter your position, because this message of hope, of living water, is for everybody. And when you encounter it, you then have a story to tell. You have a message to bring. You have something to say because you've had an encounter with Jesus in your life. So I want to jump back to our questions that we had at the beginning. The first question that I said to you is, do you believe that God has changed your life? Do you believe that you've had an encounter with God and therefore you're different? And and it's, this is really where we all have to start because you, you could really only answer this question a yes or a no. Some of you guys have been around churches for a long time and not, and not just the Grove. You've been to different churches. You, maybe you grew up in church and you understand what I'm saying that like I got saved every week, you know, as a, as a child. Every single week I, I went to the altar and I was saved again. I didn't actually believe that God changed me, that I was different, that that something about my encounter with him was different, and I I therefore was changed. So the two things that I want to kind of just emphasize with this, the change comes when you understand surrender and when you understand humility. And that's when you might really begin to believe that you are different because something that God has done. When you surrender and, and you say, man, I know I don't have it all together and I'm going to come before you again and surrender these things to you and, and ask for your forgiveness. And humility is acknowledging that you are not the best um, and you're not better than an irreligious person because you're just as messy. Surrender and humility can produce change that makes you really think that God has done something in who you are. And if you do believe that he's changed your life, what's the story that you're starting to tell? Do you believe that you have a story to tell? So again, I lacked the confidence for years to actually believe that I had something to say. I would get all, you know, fumbled on my words. I believed that evangelism like had to look a certain way, that you had to be so 
on top of it. And you had to know all of your scripture. And, and if somebody questioned you, you needed to be able to give them an answer. And, and I just thought it had to be so well done that I just thought, man, I, there's no way. I can't tell them I'm a pastor's wife. I can't tell them that I'm a Christ follower because if they ask me about this and I don't know the answer, I mean, what am I going to say? And what God has challenged me to, to believe and what I really believe is that it doesn't matter. You don't have to have all the put together answers that you think are what people are expecting from you. You just have to believe that you have something to say. You just have to believe that he has changed your world and therefore you can go speak about it. You can go say something about it. You can say, you know what? I'm going to be praying for you. Or you know what? I know that I don't really know exactly what to say, but I know God loves you and I know that he loves me. And, and, and so let me tell you about that. It can be the littlest conversation that you, that you don't have to get so nervous about that it, it doesn't have to be perfect. And then the last question is, is, is do you know how to, to tell your story? And this is where I think, again, a lot of us just get completely stuck. Believing that you're a storyteller means that you have to start telling your story. So when I was in, in school at North Central University, I had a classmate and his name was Wayne. And he, to me, kind of was annoying. But um, he, one of the things that he would do is every time he would see me, every single time he would see me, he would say, are you loving Jesus today, Jody?" And I would just be like, oh, I don't know. And then he would do this. He did this arm thing and he would say, are you saving souls for Jesus, Jody?" And I just wanted to punch him in the face most days because I, I just didn't see God speaking through me that way. But what I, I found myself thinking was, man, I'm never going to be like Wayne. You know, he's so passionate and he obviously thinks that, you know, we should be loving Jesus today. And I, I felt like I wasn't the type of storyteller that could re- relate to him. And, and so I kind of got thinking, well, I'm never going to be able to be like a, a storyteller for God because I'm not, I don't, I don't communicate that way. And it took me a lot of years to recognize that God is not asking for me to be like Wayne. And he's not asking for you to be like me or, or you to be like Wayne. He's asking for each one of us to be able to find what we can say for God. And, and it might look completely different than, are you loving Jesus today? It might look something more simple and it might look like having a cup of coffee or being kind to your hostess or, you know, talking to the woman who's serving you coffee or you're paying your groceries at the grocery store. It might look a lot different, but it's worth saying, okay, I I have something to say. I have a story. And so I'm going to try to start learning ways to say it. So I'm going to give you just one kind of idea to try. Have you guys ever thought of um, like a circle of influence, like how you feel uh, your life is influencing other people? So the way I see this is that it's kind of like a bullseye. And if you, you know, think of the center, the, the center of the bullseye, and then you make the circles that go outward. And what you need to do to start, to figure out where to start with your story is in the center of your bullseye. I want you guys to make a list of who your people are. Okay, my people are Jeff, Maisie, Cannon, Rio, and Roby. Those are my people. So my storytelling starts right there at the dead center of the bullseye. 
And if, if that's my, like my strongest level of influence is with those people, they see me inside and out. They see me on the bad days. They see me when I lose my mind and I'm impatient and I yell and I'm crazy. My story starts right there. Those are the people that are watching me the closest. My girls are learning to be a woman because of me. My son, he's learning how to look for a woman in the qualities that he sees in me. Hopefully, awesome. Um, (laughs) But those are my people. And that's where you start to tell your story. So if you feel lost and you have no idea where to start talking about who God is and what he's done for you, make a list of your people. Okay, would you guys do that with me? Make a list of your people in the center of that bullseye, and that's where you start. And if they can't say that, man, God has done something different in in her or him, that's a problem. Okay? This is where you start telling and communicating and living right before an audience. And that that is the first set of people that you're going to be able to influence about with God. Then you start to think about, okay, who's my next level of influence? Who would be the next tier? Maybe my coworkers, maybe my, my family, my extended family and friends. And then it goes on and then it goes on from there. And far too often, I feel like as Christ followers, we feel we have to have a story for the masses, the biggest part of the circle. And that's where we want to start because we want to have this big voice and we want to, you know, change lives and we want to like, you know, do all these radical things. And so we give up before we start trying because what are we going to say? Don't start there. Start here and make your bullseye and fill it in with the people that are in your circle, your people. And you begin to watch how God uses you to influence them. I'm going to invite the band to to join me back up on stage and we're going to, um, you know, move on into worshiping God with our giving and worshiping um, him in song. I want you guys to, to really take the story of this Samaritan woman, and I want you to see there's so many beautiful details about what took place here. Jesus pursued her, and he knew, he knew, he knew, he knew she was a total mess. He knew that she was somebody that, that the town had basically outcasted because of what she was how she was living, who she was living with. She was not a follower of God. She was irreligious. And he believed enough in taking the time to show love to her. And that encounter changed her life. And she became a storyteller. And she began to say, well, look what he told me, everything that I ever did. He has to be the Christ. So this is my challenge that I want you guys to have today. I want you guys to think about how God has changed you. And, and if, he, if you're stuck there and you can't really figure that out, then maybe he hasn't. Maybe you're still trying to find that change with God. And maybe you start there and you, and you, and you plead with God and you get on your knees and, and you ask him and you invite him to come and to be a part of your life so that you can feel that transformation, that movement of surrender happening. And then when you, when you recognize that and you believe that, then the, you, the second thing is, is you want to believe that you have something to say. And I want you guys to see that because it, the vision of this church doesn't go anywhere. It stops at the door. If it's just Jeff and I running our mouths, if it's just the elders, you know, saying different things, the staff, we can only do so much. The story is inside each one of you, and it doesn't sound like mine, and it, and it doesn't sound like Wayne, and it sounds like you. 
and you're going to be able to influence people that I will never be able to influence. Okay. And then the last thing there is, is how do you tell your story? And you start with your people. Okay. Everybody, you can figure that out. You start with your people and that's where you start telling your story. That's where you start saying, God has done something in me. That's when I look at my girls and I pray for their, their, their lives. I pray for them and my son and, and my husband. That's where I, I work hard to get over my pride and serve him and love him and honor him. That's where my start, my story starts. And then you see how God opens doors and it gets bigger and it gets bigger. And then he provides ways for you to do things that you couldn't even imagine. This woman was perhaps the first missionary to the Samaritan people because she was the first woman to declare that Jesus was the Messiah. She was a woman, a Samaritan, a sinner. And she told a story that then changed other people. I want you guys to see yourselves as the Grove storytellers. The storyteller is you telling what God has done for you. Now, I've, I've asked the band to come and to share this song. And this is one of my favorites. Um, and it, it's an awesome reminder to me that Jesus knew this woman inside and out and he still pursued her. And what it says to me is that he knows that I have been a mess for a good portion of my life. And he has still pursued me. He still has loved me. And he says the same thing to you guys. He's chased after you so that he can be present and love and that you can tell the story that he's given you to share. So I want you guys to listen to the words of the song and uh, then I'm going to come back and we're going to pray over our giving this morning and continue on in worship. But would you please maybe close your eyes or or just not be distracted and listen to um, the words that Brayden is going to sing with us.